It's an honor and a privilege to be the pastor of Radical Church along with my wife, Lindsay, and our two-and-a-half-year-old son, Oakland, who's over in Kids having a blast right now. If you have kids and they're over there, uh, I promise you our team is amazing. Our kids pastor has a ton of experience. She's an amazing person. Our whole team is incredible. They're not even coming to Easter service today so that they can hang out with your kids and bless your kids. So can we just give it up right now for our kids team? They'll see this later on the live stream. Love you guys. Thank y'all for being over there. But it is an honor and a privilege to be here. Our church is only six months old. We launched in September of 2020 in the middle of COVID, which if you know, uh, starting anything in the middle of COVID uh, seems like just a really bad idea, right? But God's timing is better than our timing, amen? And now we're here today with all of you wonderful people on Easter Sunday 2021, looking ahead to the great things that God has ahead for Radical Church, amen? Amen. So hey, I'm so glad to have you all here. Thank you. If you are a first-time guest, I'd love for you to fill out the Connect card that's in the seat that you had, uh, that's in the seat that you're at right now. It should be on each and every one of them. Go ahead and fill that out. What it's going to get you today is it's going to get you not only a free t-shirt, which is great. Everybody loves a free t-shirt. But listen, I will give you a call this week as well. I love to call all of our first-time guests. Make sure I welcome you to the church as a part of our family. And if you need anything, you can uh, hit me up. I want to see how your experience was. And, and hopefully you feel the presence of God here today and you feel loved and connected. And we can help get you a part of the Rad family is what, it, what we call ourselves. So fill that out. You can also do it online, radicalchurch.life slash connect. You can do that too. So what I want to tell you is just a couple of little quick announcements and then we'll get into a nice little video that we have for you today. But uh, Baptism Sunday is next Sunday, y'all. Can we give it up? Baptism Sunday. I'm excited. I'm excited. We already have five people signed up to get baptized next week that are giving their lives back to Jesus and they're going to get baptized. It's going to be a celebration. You don't want to miss it. Uh, I'm going to be preaching on baptism, what it means for us, and then I'm going to give an opportunity for people that say yes to Jesus, want to get baptized, go public with their faith. You can get baptized right there on the spot. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we want to make sure that you're a part of that next week. And also, uh, if you are new, when you do fill out that connect card, we want to give you a little bribery to come back next week. Come on now, a little bribery never hurt anybody, right? We want to give you a $5 summer moon gift card if you come back next week and you're a first time guest this week. So we'll have a $5 summer moon gift card because summer moon coffee is the only kind of coffee around here for me. So uh, if you believe it, say amen. Hey, we got some Summer Moon fans out here. I see you, I see you. So uh, anyway, I'm really, really glad uh, to be able to do that for you and just welcome you into the family. So Baptism Sunday, make sure you come back next week. The last thing I want to tell you is we have an egg hunt after service. I know if I said that to the kids, they would freak out. And some people were saying, were we going to get to, you know, hunt eggs? And I was messing with them. You can be in the 20 to 30 category. Uh, then I had to check to make sure that they were at least 20 years old because, you know, I I'm almost 30. I turned 29 uh, a couple, it was like a couple months ago, I guess, I turned 29. I'm, I'm not old enough to be thinking like that, not know my own age. But I turned 29, I always tell people I'm going to stay 29 at least for a couple more years until people are just like, listen, Pastor Trevor, it's, it's not working anymore, okay? Like we know you're 36, all right? So I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can, people. I'm going to hold on to it. But anyway, we're going to have the egg hunt right after. And I just want to quickly instruct you before we get into the message so we know, we're going to go all the way down the hallway and then take a right at the very end of the hallway and head on out there and just make sure we stay off the playgrounds. That's the one thing the school asked us to do. We can use the field, but just stay off the playgrounds. We'll have a ton of fun, have lots of eggs, and the kids are going to have a blast. So the last thing I have for you today is if you're a part of Radical Church, I want to go into a time of offering and of giving. We don't pass the buckets right now because COVID. So we have a basket, a little uh, a, a giving box at the back. If you'd like to give, if you're a part of the church or you just want to invest in what God is doing here at Radical Church, you feel like you've been blessed today, you can give at the back. And I always say every single week, we give because he gave. Amen. We give because he gave. Jesus gave everything that he had for us by giving his life on the cross. And so we give back to advance the mission of the local church and advance the mission of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, and, and that's why we give. And so if you'd like to do that, you can do that at the back at any time today. So let's pray. We'll watch a video and we'll get into the message. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing time gathering together to celebrate. Thank you for the offering that we're bringing today for those that are giving and investing in what you're doing here in Kyle, Texas, Hayes County and beyond. 
God, I pray that you would multiply it, that you would make it uh, even go farther than that money normally would on a regular basis. If it was sitting in a bank account or, or if it was sitting uh, maybe in stocks or anything else, God, we know that the return that you can bring on the investments that we put into the kingdom of God is 100, 200, 300 fold. It is unlimited because you are an unlimited, unstoppable God. And so we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Check out this video. Today, we decided to ask some of our rad kids why they thought we celebrate Easter. Tell us why we celebrate Easter. Okay, um, I picked eggs and I opened them and the crackers just fell out. And then the pawpaw. Um, an Easter egg. Uh-huh. And, and you open it up and get chocolate. And you can get a toy inside. Because we celebrate Easter because uh, 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 we celebrate Easter is because God came back, or no, Jesus came back from the dead. And, oh, guys, it's stressful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we celebrate Easter because you get to spend time with your family. Okay, because Jesus came back to the, from the dead, and, um, dang, I forgot. And you can get something else on a toy, and you can get the dog and the cat. And we can get a big egg. And then we can pick up egg. It's, like, for our family, and we could spend time together, and we could have breaks off of school and have fun. Um, I think we celebrate Easter to celebrate the Lord and everything that has happened, like the creation of Earth, and just be thankful that we are here. And you can make them a prize and you got sprinkles on them and you can eat the sprinkles on cupcakes do Easter hunts, and I think God wanted us to have a great day, so that's why. And you can get to put the crown on and do like a mermaid, you can fly off of. Mm, because? Because why? <laughs> Jesus. Easter, um, sometimes is about Jesus. We celebrate Easter to um, celebrate that Jesus came back from the dead because he was killed on the cross and it was a sad day. So we are all happy to celebrate Easter because he came back from the dead. My dad and mom got me some Easter egg wonders box. All right, give it up for our kids' ministry. That was great. That was great. My son was the one that said, because, and then my wife asked him, why? And he said, Jesus. So I'm, I'm proud about that one. Two and a half. He's already getting it. Come on. Well, I'm really pumped today to be bringing an Easter message to you today, Resurrection Sunday message. And, and we love having fun and seeing what the kids have to say about Easter. But there's, there's a few kids that then they nailed it, right? You know, and it's so funny because it means so many different things to so many different people, right? Like Easter is not necessarily even just a holiday that Christians celebrate, right? But it's, it's a global thing. It's a thing that everyone knows about, right? And us as Americans, we celebrate it for many, many different reasons, right? For you, it might be you love love getting together with family. Like you're a big family person. You love hanging out. I know many of you probably are from out of town. I know there's some people. Uh, I know at least one person, our, our keyboard player, uh, her dad came in from Minnesota. Come on now. He's all the way from way up in the great white north. I don't know. I probably butchered that wherever he's at. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But anyway, yeah, it's terrible, right? But um, I love seeing new faces, people from out of town. And I'm just glad that all of you are here, you know, to hang out with your family and have a good time. And that's what it means for a lot of people. For the kids, it, you know, I mean, 
it's eggs, right? It's, it's eggs. It's the Easter bunny. It is the chocolate. It is the money they get inside. Listen, my son, Oakland, he has had a few different Easter egg hunts already. And the first one he had, he had uh, at Mimi and Papa Sturge's house who are here today. Come on, his grandparents, my wife's parents. And uh, he had this Easter egg hunt and then he had to tell every single person he came into contact with that he got chocolates and monies, right? That's what he got. He tells everybody about it. And so maybe that's what it means for your kids. They just love eating. And, and, and speaking of eating, come on now, people. You got some good food over Easter, right? Who makes the best food for Easter? Raise your hand. Your grandmama makes the best food at Easter. You know, whatever it might be, you got the goods, you got the whole spread, the whole family's there. You look forward to the food at Easter. There's a lot of things that we celebrate during this time, but us as Christians, we know that the reason for the season, come on, is Jesus and that he is raised from the dead. He is not still in the grave, but the tomb is empty, amen? And he is alive and he sits at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says, and he's praying for you today. He's here with us in this room right now. And so it means many different things for many people. But, but what I wanna do right now is I wanna take a moment to kind of summarize a little bit of the, the Holy Week that we're in right now. If maybe you grew up in a, a, a denomination that didn't necessarily celebrate Holy Week in a liturgical kind of a way, or maybe you did, so you might understand this a little bit better than others, but, but Passion Sunday or Palm Sunday was this last Sunday. And we, uh, we talked about that. We celebrated the triumphal entry of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem, right? The Jewish people were so stoked because they believed that Jesus, right, is the Messiah that they had been waiting for that was gonna save them from this Roman oppression that they'd been under for a long time. And so we talked about that last week and what that means. And then as we go throughout the week, well, actually the first thing that Jesus does is he goes straight into the temple and starts flipping tables over, right? He's like, what is this? This den of robbers is what he says, because all these people were charging like ridiculous prices and they were making money in the temple of God and it just was not a good thing. They were thieves and robbers. So he starts flipping tables left and right. That's not an excuse, kids that are in the room, middle school, high school kids, don't go flipping tables saying this for some holy reason, okay, right? Don't do that. But Jesus was angry, right? And so then he starts saying some things that were kind of ruffling some feathers with the religious people, with the religious leaders, okay? He was kind of challenging them in some of the things that they had thought. And then we get to Maundy Thursday, which would have been this last Thursday, which is a time that we traditionally would celebrate in the Passover, the Last Supper, we call it communion. Today, you might know it as that. That's how we remember uh, this meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And we actually took communion this last Sunday, and it was amazing to be able to do that together as a church family. I love taking communion together. It reminds us of why we're really here. It centers us, I really feel like. And so that's where we're kind of gonna start right now is at that time on Thursday evening, and we're gonna go all the way uh, to Sunday, all right? Let's just walk through this together. So I'm gonna summarize a little bit of this and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the three things that I think that Jesus put to death on the day that he died and rose again that, that weekend. So Passover, they're celebrating this last supper together with Jesus's disciples. And the great thing about that night is Jesus does something that nobody would have expected him to do. Jesus was a very unexpected kind of a guy. It's a little different than what most people might expect from the son of God or the Messiah, right? He gets down on his hands and his knees and he washes the disciples' feet, full well knowing that one of them, Judas, was just about to betray him a little bit later, not even 24 hours later, right? He knew that Judas was gonna betray him and yet he still gets down and washes his feet. He still shares a meal with this man and with all of these disciples, full well knowing what was coming over the next few days that he was gonna have to suffer and deal with and how many of you today are grateful that no matter how far away that we are from God, that Jesus still has a seat at the table for you, amen? He still has a seat at the table for you. No matter how far you think you are from God, no matter if you feel like you've betrayed God, you betrayed Jesus, listen, he's here right now and he's giving you a seat at his table today. And so he goes into the garden of Gethsemane to pray and Jesus is struggling now. He really knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to get crucified. He knows he's about to have to go to the cross. And this is what he says in Matthew 26, 39. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, Father, but 
But what you want, that was the, the, the epitome of Jesus and who he was, is he didn't do anything unless he felt the Father, uh, God himself telling Jesus what to do. And so he said, listen, I know this is gonna be a difficult thing, and, and, and Father, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna have to die, but, but I will. If there's any other way, but I will, because I know how important this is and I know what has to be done. And so then Judas comes, betrays him with a kiss, and then Jesus is sent over to the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish religious council of the day. And what they decide is that Jesus had blasphemed God, right? He was declaring to be kind of the son of God, whether saying it or kind of not saying it. He has kind of an interesting way of talking to these people. You can read it for yourself, but it's so interesting, the conversations between the Sanhedrin, this religious council and Jesus and, and the way that he presents himself even. But they say that he's blaspheming God. And so what they do is they say, you know what? We got to get rid of this guy, all right? This, this dude is absolutely out of his mind. We're going to send him to the Roman governor, Pilate, for a civil trial. So they send him over to Pilate, and then Pilate says, I, listen, I don't know what this guy has done wrong. He's a Roman, right? So he doesn't care about their religious squabbles. He doesn't, he doesn't care about any of that. He's like, he hasn't done anything wrong against the state, right? against the, the empire, so I don't have any qualms with Jesus. So he sends him back to another man named Herod, who was the Jewish ruler of the day. And so Herod, also kind of same thing, he's like, I don't see anything wrong with what Jesus has done. He hasn't really said anything. Jesus was kind of a little bit closed-lipped with Herod. And so, but, but they kind of make fun of him. They don't really like him. And so Herod and the guards kind of mess with him a little bit. And they send him on back to Pilate. And then Pilate's like, listen, y'all, this man has not done anything wrong. I, I don't know what you want me to do with him. So I'm, I'm just going to punish him, uh, give him a few whips on the back, all right? And then give him a slap on the hand and send him on his way. But that wasn't good enough for the crowds. That wasn't good enough for the Jews in that day. So Jesus had declared himself to be the son of God and people were declaring him to be the Messiah. And so uh, the problem was is that those religious leaders were very, very jealous of Jesus. They were enraged at him because he was challenging their authority in so many ways. And they didn't want to lose that authority that they had over the people. And so because of the mounting pressure, and the possible riot that was about to break out with these crowds at Pilate's house, at his quarters, he gives them a choice. He decides to give them a choice. It was very customary, actually, to uh, the Roman authorities. They would give, on the Passover week, they would give a, uh, an option for a prisoner to be released, a Jewish prisoner to be released. And the reason they did that was kind of to just appease the Jewish people, right? Because they were oppressing them, right? They were, had the control of Jerusalem. And they said, you know what, just to appease them, we're, during the Passover week, during this festival, you know, we're going to give them uh, one of their prisoners back. And so this was actually a normal thing that would happen. And so he puts up two prisoners. And we read in Matthew 27, 17, as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Now, who is Barabbas? Who is this random dude that's in prison? What has he done wrong? Okay, the Bible describes him as a notorious rebel. He was a notorious rebel. He was a murderer, all right? But... He was actually a part of the insurrection against the Roman government. So what does that mean? The Jews kind of like this dude. Like he's like Liam Neeson in Taken, like just going around like John Wick style, just destroying everybody, right? And it's like one of those things that people just love the guy. He was kind of notorious for that. And so I just imagine he's like this yoked dude, just like, you know, if they had guns back then, that would be him. You know what I mean? Like just like Rambo style kind of guy. He was well-liked among the Jews. They probably, they, they probably just kind of put aside the fact that he murdered people, but he was a part of the insurrection against the Roman government, and that's all they cared about, obviously, was to try to overthrow the Roman government. And so they made an easy choice, and they cried out, Barabbas, we want Barabbas. Give him back to us. Pilate's like, oh, my goodness. I, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. Fine, you can have Barabbas, but now what am I supposed to do with this man who I don't see any issue with at all. And they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted Jesus dead. But what they didn't know is they were actually bringing to death three other things. They weren't bringing death to Jesus at all. And we're gonna look at those three things today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help me to communicate this word the best way that, that I know how, the best way that you've given me. I believe this word is for each and every one of these people today. Would you open their eyes and open their ears, open their hearts, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing 
that, that I believe that Jesus put to death that day was death to debt, death to debt. That's the first one. There's going to be three of them today. If you want to write that down, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write death to debt down. And so uh, I don't know if you've ever been in debt before, but it's not a great place to be, right? It is really not. Some of you might be, uh, yeah, have some student loan debt. You might have, you know, a car payment. You might have a mortgage or you might have some credit card debt. You know what I'm saying? Like you got the 10,000, the 20,000. Some of you maybe just have a little bit of debt. But I remember back when I was, I think it's early college, I racked up about $3,500 of debt, okay, just being straight dumb, y'all. You know what I mean? Like college kind of dumb stuff. How many of you racked up a little debt when you were in college? Come on, let me see you. It's all right. My hand's up too, okay? I know I know how it feels. It's not a great feeling. $3,500 might not seem like a lot to some of you in this place, but especially to a college kid, that's a lot of debt, okay? And so it was not a good thing for me to be in. I was really upset about it. And so my, my parents, they they sat me down and I said, listen, Trevor, we, we see that you're having a lot of trouble with this. We see you're struggling. And, and so we want to give you a gift and we want to pay off your, your debt for you. And I feel like I remember that I cried. I can't remember necessarily, but uh, I'm pretty sure that I did. And so my mom and dad paid off this debt for me. And what's the first thing that you're going to do when somebody says that they're going to pay off that kind of a debt? I mean, you're like, what can I do, right? Like, how can I thank you? Like, what is it that I can do for you to, to, to earn this maybe or something like that? And, and all they expected from me was my love in return, right? That's all they expected from me was my love back, and that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me when he went to the cross. It's exactly what he did. And I'm gonna tell you how. Matthew 27, 26 through 31. Then he released for them Barabbas, Pilate, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. So this does not sound like a lot of fun. This is not a good situation that Jesus has found himself in. But what a lot of people don't know is that uh, scourging or flogging was another term that used for it. Basically, it were these whips. But these were not regular kind of whips like, you know, Western John Wayne, you know, like on a cowboy, like not that kind of whip, all right? This was like some hardcore, crazy torture whips. On these whips were multiple throngs, and they actually had pieces of bone, of glass, potentially even iron that were kind of uh, infused into the ends of the whips. And... The reason that that was such a bad thing for the, for the victim is that as they would get whipped, they'd get tied to a post or something like this, and they would get whipped, and it would literally rip their back open as they were getting whipped. How could they do this to Jesus, right? How could they do this to this man who had never done anything wrong? I mean, honestly, it's infuriating. It's so messed up what they were doing. And so many of these people, actually, as they were getting whipped, they would die even before they got to the crucifixion part because it was such a difficult thing to withstand. Many times they would just die from blood loss because they had been whipped so, so much. And so this was not a good thing to have to go through. And, and I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever been punished for something that you didn't do? Because that is frustrating, right? That is not a good thing to have to go through, whether it is at work whether it is at school, whether somebody at the office does something and it kind of just messes with your department, okay, and now you have to take the fall for it for some reason, you gotta eat crow with the client or a customer. Maybe it's in school, you know, this is probably the, the easiest one to, to understand in college or in school when you have a group project, right? Come on, group projects, the worst, right? Especially if you're the smart one, you know? So the group projects are the worst and then there's the people that are like, oh, I got paired with them, yes, I don't have to do anything, right? And so then you get punished for them not doing their part of the work. And, and so I remember in basketball, I, I played basketball for 14 years. I played sports my whole life and basketball in particular uh, and football too as well. But basketball, I had this one coach and he was a tough coach, but he was a good coach. And when anybody would do anything wrong, like let's say the coach, you know, somebody would talk back 
to the coach and give him a little lip is what he would call it, all right? He'd talk back a little bit at him. He'd tell every single one of us, what? The worst words ever, get on the line. You never want to hear, get on the line when you're on a basketball team. And then you look over at your buddy and it's like, Mark, what are you doing? Well, you stop. Shut up, dude. You're making it worse for all of us, right? Just like complaining. You're like crying and, you know, throwing up on the side of the court and everything. It's horrible, right? You're getting, you're getting punished for something that you did not do. And it's so frustrating, but this is exactly what Jesus did for us, right? Amen? This is exactly what he did. He had done nothing wrong, and yet he was, he was being punished for all of our sins that we have committed. There's a song that, that's an old hymn, and if you know it, I want you to sing it with me. It's called Jesus Paid It All. And we're going to sing just a little bit of that right there. Let's sing it. Hmm. All right. No, I'm just sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And sin had left a crimson stain. He washed in whitest snow. Amen. Amen. That is a great, great song. The reason why is because he paid that debt that was not his own. He gave up his own life so that we could live. He took on our sins and the things that you and I have done wrong so that we wouldn't be punished for them. And it says that sin has left a crimson stain. What does that mean? It's left a mark on each and every one of us. Well, every evil thought that you've ever had, every lie that you've ever told, every April Fool's joke that you've ever played, you rascals, come on. Every time that you've cheered for any other team other than the Dallas Cowboys, which is obviously the largest offense, largest offense to God, of course, of course. Every sin you've ever committed leaves a mark of sin on you, leaves a stain, a crimson stain on you. And what does sin mean? It just means simply missing the mark. It's actually an archery term. When they would not hit the bullseye, it was missing the mark. And that's what sin is. But the problem is God never misses the mark. Amen. God is perfect and holy as we see in the Bible. And so when Adam and Eve sinned at the very beginning of time, right from the start, humanity had already messed up with the very first humans that had ever existed they immediately messed it up and got separated away from God. Why? Because they missed the mark. And God could not be in communion. He could not be uh, with the sin that they had committed. And so they had to be separated away from God. That was not how it was supposed to be. They were not supposed to be separated from God. They were supposed to have this amazing relationship with him. They weren't supposed to die. They weren't ever supposed to suffer or anything like that. But they had missed the mark and now they owed a debt back to God because of it. And humans, we all have many differences, right? I mean, you might like different foods. You might like Italian food or Mexican food or whatever kind of foods that you like might be different. You might like vegetables, you weirdo, you know what I'm saying? Like you might, <laughs> you might like that kind of stuff and you might cheer for different teams. Okay. I'll admit it's all right for you to cheer for a different team other than Dallas Cowboys because we're all different. I get it. Okay. You might think differently. You might be rich. You might be poor. You might be popular. Or you might just be living life, just trying to get by. But I think one thing that all of us have in common is that feeling of imperfection. A feeling that we all kind of miss the mark a little bit, right? We're never perfect. We're always trying to do good, but, but in many areas of our lives, we, we just, we fail. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes there is, but yet we fail. And when you mess up, it hurts. And so much so that when I say this next phrase, it's universally understood. If you told this phrase to anybody in the whole world, they would understand it. It's nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everyone understands that because we all feel that way. Do you think you're not good enough? Don't worry, you're not alone because we all aren't. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And what Jesus did is he came to stand in the gap for us between our failure, where we've messed up, where we've missed the mark, and our sin, and God's holiness, and God's perfection, Jesus stood in the gap, stood in the middle, and with his arms made a bridge for us to get across to the other side so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. Come on, is there anybody that's thankful that Jesus has paid your debt, that he has stood in the gap for you? Colossians 2, 3, uh, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, another word for sin, 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Jesus took the record of debt that you owe God, the record that says that you're not good enough, the record that says that you missed the mark, that you don't measure up, that you're not holy, that you're always gonna be stuck in your sin and with nails in his hands and with nails in his feet, he nailed that record of debt to the cross so that you will never have to repay that debt. He paid for it with his own blood and his own body for you and for me. That's an amazing truth that we have to stand on. The debt that you and I could never pay, Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe because sin had left a crimson stain on me but he has washed me white as snow. Some of you here today are burdened by this stain, right? This sin that you can't shake. I know how that feels. I think we all do. The stuff in our lives that we just feel we're just cyclical and we just can't get out of it. This life that you maybe don't like or this feeling of unworthiness, well, this debt that you can't pay for, listen, the good news of Jesus is that it is already paid for. It's already paid for. You don't have to do anything. There's no amount of good that you can do to earn your way into heaven. There's no amount of good works or any kind of things that you could do to earn good graces with God, right? That's not how it works. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus and that debt is paid for, right? He's gonna wash you white as snow. He's gonna change your life and recognize that Jesus nailed it to the cross already for you where it belongs. When Jesus substituted his blood for yours on the cross, he was declaring death to your debt. He declared death to your debt that day. The second thing, death to death. Death to death, that's Sounds a little interesting, right? Well, death is something that we all face. Uh, and, and no one really likes to talk about it. I understand that. But there's one thing in life that is certain, and that is death, right? We all face it. And I remember it was about maybe a month or two months ago, uh, my mom's aunt, her name is Luana, and Aunt Luana, we called her, and she passed away, had a, had a great life. And, and she passed away, and we went to Houston to go see some family and, and, and to celebrate her life with some people that we hadn't seen, honestly, in way too long, way too long. And I remember sitting at lunch uh, afterwards with my family, you know, just talking, having a good time, right, and, and just discussing, you know, family and things that we had seen and, and all that. And there was kind of a moment where we got pretty quiet, and I knew exactly what was happening. I think we all knew what was happening, is that we were all kind of just contemplating death, and we were contemplating what had just happened in Aunt Luana's life and knowing that it's, it's all kind of coming for us, and, but we didn't really want to talk about it, you know? And my dad eventually kind of said something, but then we didn't really talk about it. Why? Because no one really likes to talk about death, but no matter how long you put it off, no matter how long you try not to think about it, okay, I know even as, as a kid, you know, I would lay awake at night, and you know, sometimes when you're, you're, you're not watching anything, you're just kind of laying there, you're trying to go to sleep, and your brain just starts thinking of things, you know what I mean? It just kind of like, woo, goes way out there, and you start to think of some existential weird stuff, and you're like, what in the world is happening in my head right now? And you got to like shake it off and, you know, watch an episode of something before you can go back to sleep. I understand that feeling, and I think all of us do, right? And it's uncomfortable to talk about that death does come for all of us. But it says it right here in the Bible, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Because we have sinned, now we have to be separated from God, and now everyone eventually dies, right? But this is the best part. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is a gift. The same way that my parents gave me a gift and canceled my debt, the same way that Jesus gave us a gift by canceling our death and declaring death to death. And we're gonna read, we're gonna move on in this story now in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 45 through 46, and then verse 50. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And I, I, I should have studied up on this right now. I know I got some scholars out there, but I'm going to butcher this, all right? I think it's going to be Eli, Eli, Lema, something, right? Come on. I, need, I, should, I, didn't take, I didn't take Hebrew and Greek and all that stuff in Bible college. Maybe I should have, right? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had, actually, that's Aramaic. What am I talking about? He knows. And when, the, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. 
Now, I know we got a little gruesome earlier with the whipping stuff, okay? But I think it's important to understand what Jesus went through. I think it's very important to understand what he went through for you and for me because we can read a Bible story and it's like, oh, Jesus, yay, like he's risen and all that stuff. But, but we don't really take time to look at actually all of the suffering that he went through to pay that debt and to declare death to death. So crucifixion was also another form of torture. It was not a good way to die. They would lay you down on, on the cross and then they would put nails in your hands, nails in your feet. They would put your feet together kind of like this and put one really long one right through it. It was not a great way to die at all. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the blood loss necessarily that caused the person to die. They'd be up there for hours, hours and hours, sometimes even up to two days. They would be hanging on this cross. People walking by, they would put them in a really popular place on a big hill where people could walk by and spit on them, make fun of them, throw rocks at them. It was a humiliating way to die, and it was reserved for only the most heinous of crimes. And the way that you actually die when being crucified is not necessarily from blood loss, which it could be, but, but actually you, you, you have to push yourself up in order to breathe. And you hold yourself up on your feet for a little bit through the nail, but then you have to come down and your arms are out and then you can't breathe again. And then you have to push yourself up and breathe and you come down again and you can't breathe. And eventually, depending on how strong you are, after hours and hours of doing that, you'll eventually not be able to hold yourself up anymore and you'll suffocate. And that's how you die from crucifixion. So when Jesus says he cried out again in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit, this was him. And actually in another, uh, another book of the Bible, he says, it is finished. We sang that earlier. It is finished. He cries out, it is finished. With the last bit of breath that he has in him, he says that. And if you could ask Jesus what the worst part of him being crucified was, honestly, I don't think he'd say the beating. Honestly, I don't think he'd say the mockery or the people spitting on him or throwing stuff at him or, or the whipping or anything like that. The, the nails, the suffocation, I don't think he would say any of that was the worst part of him dying on the cross. If you could ask Jesus right now, you know what I think he'd say? That feeling of being separated away from his father. The feeling of of taking on all of the sin of all of mankind on his own shoulders and not being able to be in that, that, that communion with his father in that moment, man, I bet that's what Jesus would say was the worst part of all of that. But we know that Jesus was on mission. Amen? He was on mission. He died forsaken and alone so that you never have to be forsaken and alone. He took on your sins so that you don't have to ever live in guilt or shame ever again. He died a physical death on the cross so that you could have a spiritual life with God. This is what Jesus did for you and for me. He was on mission to bring death to death itself, and nothing was going to stop him from loving Loving you enough to die for you. So he died, was put in the tomb of Joseph, the stone was rolled in front, and it looked like Satan had won. It looked like death had prevailed, but come on, you know how the story ends, don't you? Come on, let's read this together and let's celebrate. Come on, Matthew 28, 1 through 6. Now, after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Come on, here it is, people. He is not here, for he has risen. He is alive. He's not here anymore. Jesus is alive, and he had beaten death, hell, and the grave, and he had declared death to death forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Death does not have a victory over you and over me anymore. This is the hope that you and I have in Jesus that nobody else in the world understands. When you say yes to Jesus, death does not take you out forever. But you have a life that is after death. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not 
perish but have an everlasting life. Apart from Jesus, death is terrifying, right? You sit at lunch, you stay awake late at night, that's terrifying thinking about that. If you're not, if you, imagine what that would feel like, not knowing what's going to happen to you after you die. But with Jesus, death is just a doorway into a life that is greater than we could ever imagine here on this earth, a place where there is no suffering, where there is no COVID. Come on, somebody. There is none of that up in heaven. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the last thing that Jesus put to death, and I believe that he's putting to death right now in this place, is death to doubt. Death to doubt. John 20, 24 through 29, it's otherwise known as Doubting Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so he, he wasn't there the first time they saw him. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Are you a won't believe it till I see it kind of a person? I, I don't know about you. But if somebody tries to tell me a fact, they're like, yeah, listen, this is just how it is. I'm not going to believe you, okay? I'm going to go to Google myself and check it out before I say yes to you. That's just who I am. I don't necessarily know if I would consider myself a skeptic or whatever, but I just don't necessarily trust people. So I got to go and make sure that I verify the fact myself from unbiased sources, okay? Because if you got your news off of Facebook this last year, you know that it will mess you up, all right? It's all kinds of wrong on both sides, all right? And so I'm always trying to look things up. I don't know if that's how you are, but this is how Thomas is. He's apparently this kind of a guy, all right? So let's keep reading. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Like I said, we have a two and a half year old son, Oakland. And if you look at any studies on how to deal with children the best way, you, you, when they're doing something wrong, sometimes you reprimand them and you say, no, don't do that. No, don't do this. No, don't do that. And you feel like you just keep repeating yourself over and over and over again. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've been through it. We're kind of going through a little bit of the terrible twos. He's a great kid, but he's learned how to say no for sure, right? And so that's just the phase that kids go through. But what child psychologists and experts will tell you that if you will, if you will get down on their level, and you will stoop down, look at them eye to eye. They'll receive what you have to say better, right? You get down to them and they'll, they'll come to you. You say, hey, listen, we're not going to do this. We're going to do this, right? Get down on their level. And this is what Jesus did with Thomas. Thomas didn't necessarily believe. But Jesus got down right at his level, where he was at, in the middle of his doubt, in the middle of his unbelief, he wasn't angry at him. Many people think that God is some angry God sitting up there in heaven just waiting to smite us, right? That's not who God is. That's not Jesus, right? He gets down on our level in the middle of your doubt, in the middle of your unbelief. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't humiliate him. He knew that Thomas wanted to believe deep down, so he let him touch his hands, his side. He made it personal for him. He invited him to himself and said, hey, be a part of this with me. Listen, come closer to me. And that brings us to you and I here today in this room. We've gone through the story. We've gone through that, that weekend of Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. And that, that brings us all the way to where we're at right now. Are you a bit of a doubting Thomas? Are you a skeptic maybe? Jesus is meeting you here today. Do you have questions? Jesus can handle them. Are you unsure of your faith? Jesus is reaching his hands out to you right now. You've been hurt by church. You walked away from God over the years. Never been to church before. Maybe your spouse drug you here today. She said, get in the car, honey. Right? So, All right, fine. I'll wear my pastel. All right. Maybe you've been to church your whole life. 
this phrase will apply to every single one of you. And if you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to listen really, really close to what I'm about to say to you. I need you to know that Jesus loves you. I need you to know that. I need you to know that he died for you, that he cares for you, that everything that you're going through in your life, everything that you've been through, he sees it. He wants to help you through it. That cancer that's wrecking your family, he wants to heal it. That marriage that you're holding on to by a thread, he wants to mend it. That addiction that you feel like is strangling you, he wants to break it. That sexual abuse that you've never talked about with anyone before, he will be a listening ear for you. He will walk right with you through the fire, through everything in your life. Jesus loves you and he cares for you. The Bible says that he knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought you've ever had, every desire you have in your heart. Jesus loves you and cares for you. And I'm not asking you to sign up for some religion today. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not some used car salesman up here. I'm not some TV preacher trying to make a buck off of you. I'm asking you, do you want to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and the God that created the universe and created you and created me? Do you want to have an abundant life of hope, of life, of peace, of joy, and of love that you could never get anywhere else outside of a relationship with God? That's what I'm asking you today. And to be honest, it's not really, it doesn't matter that I'm asking you, but Jesus is asking you. He's reaching out his hands to you today and asking, do you want to have a relationship with me? And you know what? I feel like a lot of you here today are feeling it. I feel like you feel the Holy Spirit right now moving on you. The Holy Spirit is just, it's just God's spirit just working inside of you. That's what it is. That's all it is. It's not freaky. It's not weird. All right. I believe that some of you here are feeling God calling out to you right now in this moment. Jesus is calling to you and he's saying, will you say yes to me today? I know many people come to church on Christmas and Easter, and that's fine, okay? But listen, don't let this stop today. Don't let it end here. Jesus is calling out to you today. Don't say no, say yes. And the reason is because it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Is it going to make your life perfect and easy? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what it is going to do is give you a peace inside of you that you will know that after you die, that you are going somewhere way better than where we're at right now. Amen. And those of you that understand that, those of you that know that, that have that hope in Jesus already, come on, when you give a shout of praise to God right now, because you know that Jesus has died for us and is alive again. So I'm going to ask the question, and I want you to respond as everyone stands up in this place today. I promise I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I just get passionate, all right? I just love, I just love God. And I know that he loves me, and I know that he loves you, and I just, I just want you to know that. Will you say yes to Jesus today? I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be scared, okay? I just want you to see what God is putting on your heart and feel his presence here in this moment. If you've given your life to Jesus before, but you've walked away from him, you know you have, right? You know you've walked away. You're not living in relationship with God, but you want to say yes to him again. Listen, that's you. If you've never been to church and this is brand new to you, that's also you, right? It doesn't matter. I just want you to say yes to Jesus today because he loves you so, so much. And so I'm gonna count to three and on the count of three, I want you to be bold today and raise your hand in front of all of these people because we're gonna wave our hands up in the air like we just don't care. Come on, like we just don't care what anybody else thinks about us because we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what the Bible says. I'm not gonna be ashamed. I'll raise my hand and say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I don't care what kind of persecution comes my way. I love God in this house. I love Jesus. And so what I wanna ask you today, on the count of three is if you want to say yes to him, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Will you raise your hand in this place? You want to say yes? Come on. Let's go. Yes, Lord. Come on. Would you celebrate right now with these people that are saying yes? Maybe rededicating or saying yes for the first time. Come on. This is amazing. 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 Come on. Let's give him a shout of praise in this place. 
Come on, let's sing together. Let's sing. Let's worship together. Guys, we're going to praise Jesus right now in this house. I want you to give it all you got. Give it all you got today. We're going to celebrate Jesus is alive. Amen. Come on. Listen, I am so, so excited for those of you that made a decision to follow Jesus today. We want to follow up with you. We want to make sure that you uh, have the resources you need. This is a family, a body of people that are going to support you. They're going to walk alongside with you in this. We're not just going to leave you hanging, right? We want to walk with you in this. So what I want you to do is make sure you fill out the connect card if it's your first time and then put, I'm giving my life to Jesus at the bottom. There's a checkbox there for you. And I'll call you and I'll follow up with you. I promise I will. And if you're a person that's rededicating your life, you filled out a connect card before, just fill out the card and, and put the box at the bottom. Because I want to make sure that we follow up with you. And listen, next week, I want you to get baptized. That's your next step in your faith. If you have not been baptized as an adult and you haven't made that conscious decision, maybe you've been baptized as a baby, right? But you're an adult now and you maybe walked away from God and you're coming back to Jesus. You know what? Get baptized, man. Make that decision. Go public with it. It's going to be next week. I want you to sign up for that and we'll walk you through that whole thing. But I want to make sure that we support you in this decision you made. For those of you that are just coming to church on Easter, and this is just a great reminder for you of the hope that you have in Jesus. Amen. So I'm so excited that you all came came today. Uh, let's pray one more time and then we'll walk down this hallway together. We'll pick up our kids, walk down the hallway together. We'll get out there and we'll have the egg hunt. Amen. Come on, let's have some fun. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now and we say thank you for the hope that you've given us. By dying on the cross for us, you canceled our debt. You declared death to death. And you've right now in this place erased and declared death to our doubt in our hearts and in our minds. God, we look to you today and we love you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, let's have a great time at the egg hunt. God bless you. We'll see you next week.